Hello, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. We are recording this program on Wednesday, December 28th, 2022, to be broadcast uh, Saturday, the 31st, the last day of 2022. My name is David Canfield, and I will be your host for this hour. You can visit us online at thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. You can do that at notes at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this podcast, you can also uh, do that via our website. Just uh, click on the media tab and and the podcast link under there. Or you can uh, just look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast directly on iTunes or Spotify. And as I say, this program is for being broadcast, is being recorded for broadcast on the last day of this year, 2022. And I should probably add that we are not sure yet if we're going to be continuing the radio program next year or not. Uh, We haven't finally decided that yet. But even if we don't continue the radio program, we do plan to continue the podcast on a weekly basis. And so you can just uh, look for that. If you sign up for our email list, uh, we'll send out notifications when the latest podcast has been posted. And to do that, just go to the website and click on the subscribe link and uh, enter your email there, and we'll be happy to add you to our list. So let's begin with a little prayer. Father, we just come to you under the covering of the precious blood of your dear Son, We stand with you for your will, for your kingdom, for your glory. We just say, have your way in this city, in this whole land. Lord, may your word, your truth go forth in a fresh way. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Turn so many to yourself. Shatter the kingdom of darkness in this city and across this whole land, Lord, for your sake and your glory. Lord, we give you our speaking in this program, even as we record it today. We trust you for the utterance and... uh, the way to present these truths to your people, that it would be a real blessing to them. Again, we say, Lord, for your sake and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So in the last few programs, we've been covering this matter of the kingdom of the heavens because it is such a crucial topic and something that so few Christians really have an adequate appreciation of. And in the last program, we got into something of the relationship between God's kingdom and God's building. And we want to uh, begin the program today just by reviewing that briefly. And then we want to really begin to focus more on, on God's building, to see what is really on God's heart, because that's what God is really after, is this this building project. That's what the the whole Bible really shows us. So we're going to be saying more about that in, in a little bit. Uh, So that kind of gives you kind of a general idea of what the program is going to be about today. But uh, as we say, we need to have a real appreciation of this matter of the kingdom of the heavens. Uh, Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, that refers to God's ruling in a general way uh, from eternity past to eternity future. But the phase of the kingdom of God that we are in today is the kingdom of the heavens. That's a section of the kingdom of God. It's just like Illinois is part of uh, the United States. It's a section within the United States. The kingdom of the heavens is a section within the kingdom of God. And it refers to that arrangement very specifically when the heavens are ruling over the earth. And that's the situation we have today. Today, 
the heavens rule over the earth in a mysterious way, in a hidden way. When people uh, hear the gospel, they repent and they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they come under the authority of the heavens. Now they begin to be ruled by the heavens. At least we should be ruled by the heavens. Uh, as Christians, as those who are following of Christ, followers of Christ, we should be under the ruling of our heavenly Lord and Savior, the one who reigns in the heavens today. Now today, as I say, that happens in a mysterious and hidden way. People don't see that outwardly. And the gospel is preached as a matter of persuasion. But when the Lord comes back to establish his kingdom on the earth in an open way, then it's not going to be a matter of persuasion anymore. Then it's going to be a matter of power. It's going to be a matter of outward uh, display and of dealing in a very uh, direct way, an immediate way with all the unrighteousness and all the evil things that exist on the earth so that the Lord can really have his kingdom on the earth for that 1,000-year period. That's called the millennial reign of Christ. Um, it's often called the kingdom age because that's when Christ will be reigning directly over the earth at that time. Uh, praise the Lord with uh, his uh, saved people. Praise the Lord. So that's where we're, today we're in the kingdom of the heavens in a hidden way. Then we'll be in the kingdom of the heavens in an open and manifested way. But in a sense, the kingdom of the heavens is something negative. Not negative in itself, of course. God's ruling is very positive. But it's negative in the sense that it's the purpose, one major purpose of the kingdom of the heavens is for dealing with the rebellion against God's authority. Uh, of course, led by Satan, and then he was joined in that rebellion by mankind. Man, the earth today is in rebellion against God and against the authority of God. And that's why everything's so messed up. Uh, because uh, we've rejected the heavenly ruling of Christ. And so the kingdom of the heavens uh, today, the purpose of the kingdom of the heavens is to bring in the rule of Christ on the earth. And to reestablish God's right over the whole earth. That's really what's happening when the gospel is being preached today. And to be clear, the gospel we preach today is the gospel of the kingdom of the heavens. You know, that's proven by Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. When Jesus, uh, Peter had his vision of Christ, and then Jesus told him, he said, uh, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. It's not singular key, it's a plural, keys, the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. And so what are these keys? Well, these are the keys that Peter used to open the door to the kingdom of the heavens in the book of Acts. He used the first key in Acts chapter 2 when he preached the gospel to the, uh, to the Jews in Jerusalem. That opened the door for them to enter into the kingdom of the heavens. He used the second key in the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 when he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles had a way to enter into the kingdom of the heavens. And that shows... When we talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom today, we're referring specifically to the kingdom of the heavens, that section within the kingdom of God that we're in today. So that is, that is the gospel that we preach today. But that's for dealing with all the negative situations on the earth. The positive thing that God is after is his building. That's what he really wants. The kingdom of God deals with the negative situation so that God will have a way to bring in his building work among the uh, people of the earth and among his believers. Praise the Lord for that. So um, that's what we need to be clear about is the relation between these two things. First of all, the kingdom 
on the one hand and God's building work on the other. And I have to say, as I've gotten into this topic, I've been impressed with that uh, really like never before. Um, you, you know, in the Old Testament, you see, of course, just the history of the children of Israel. God called them out of slavery in Egypt into uh, the wilderness and eventually into the good land. And then they subdued all the enemies in the good land. And that's when Solomon was able to build the temple. Well, of course, the Apostle Paul tells us very specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it's verse 6, that the history of the children of Israel is a picture of our history as the believers in Christ. We've been called out of slavery, the slavery of the world system, called out uh, uh, into the wilderness, so to speak. This world has become a wilderness to us. And eventually we want to get into the good land, really enjoying Christ as our portion and defeat all the enemies that oppose God's building. And then God can have a way to build up the church among us. That's a picture in the Old Testament. That's the reality in the New Testament. And of course, uh, to be more specific in the Old Testament, when uh, it was when David had a heart to build a dwelling place for God in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, he tells Nathan the prophet, look, I'm sitting here in this palace of cedar and the, the ark of God dwells among tent curtains. Nathan tells him, go and do whatever you want to do. But then God, uh, that night, God tells Nathan, no, you tell David, he's not the one to build a house for me. His job is to bring in the kingdom. That's really his job. His son is the one who's going to build the house for me. And of course, that promise was fulfilled um, in an immediate way in Solomon. And ultimately, it's fulfilled in Christ, the ultimate uh, son of David. Praise the Lord. According to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So again, we see this principle. The kingdom brings in the building. Uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 16, uh, Jesus says to Peter, I, I'm going to build my church and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. So how does he build his church? It's by opening the door to the kingdom of the heavens. That makes a way for the building up of the church. Same principle. Again, first the kingdom and then the building. And ultimately, you see this principle at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter uh, 20, 21, and 22. Now, Revelation chapter 20, of course, that's the chapter on the millennial reign of Christ. That's where it says that uh, the, some of the believers in Christ will be living and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Uh, now, it's, that time is not a time of perfection. Satan is bound. He's cast into the, the abyss uh, at that time, at the beginning of the millennium. But there is still some unrighteousness on the earth at that time uh, that is dealt with, of course, at that time in a very strict way. It won't be like today. Today's the age of grace where uh, sin is not punished immediately and directly because God is so merciful and so patient. He, he's hoping people will come to repentance. But at that time, God's patience will be over. And then uh, any sin uh, will be met with a very, very immediate judgment uh, and casting people into the lake of fire. And, of course, at the end of the millennium, uh, you have one final rebellion. Satan comes up out of the abyss, and he gathers so many people to join him for one last rebellion against God. And then it, uh, you have fire come down out of heaven. It destroys those who are involved in that rebellion. Satan is cast into uh, the, the lake of fire for eternity. Praise the Lord. And then you have the great white throne judgment. And all the unrighteous people, all the unrepentant sinners are cast into the lake of fire. Everyone who's not found in the book of life. 
So that's at the end of the millennium. And then the old heaven and the old earth pass away and you have a new heaven and a new earth. And that's when the new Jerusalem, God's eternal dwelling place, finally comes down from the heaven to the earth. So there again, you see this principle, the kingdom reign of Christ, which is for dealing with all the opposition to God's rule. That's what makes the way for a very positive situation. And in that positive situation, then God comes down from the heaven to the earth uh, and the new Jerusalem comes down from the heavens to the earth for God to dwell with man for eternity. And so the kingdom uh, is so important. It's such a crucial topic in the Bible. And the kingdom of the heavens in the New Testament is such a crucial topic. But we have to understand it's for something else. It's for God's building. That's why we're standing for God's kingdom today is so he can have his building on the earth, his dwelling place with mankind. Praise the Lord for that. And it's, it's hard for us to have this concept. Uh, it's hard for us to see this. You know, when, when, when Peter made that declaration to Jesus, he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said to him, you know, you didn't get this yourself, Peter. The Father revealed this to you. And it is really so. To have the revelation of who Christ is is a great matter. It's, it's a real it, it really is, it changes your whole life when you finally realize Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who he is, exactly who he said he is. Uh, he's my savior. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again from the dead. Praise the Lord for that. What a blessing to see that. Uh, but that's, that's what the father revealed to Peter. As soon as Peter made that declaration, Jesus also had something to reveal to Peter. He said, my father revealed this to you. And now, Peter, I have something more I need to, to tell you. I need have something more I need to show you. Uh, you I, I say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. So he's saying, yes, you've seen something of who I am, but now you need to see something of who you are. You're a stone for my building. That's who you are. And you need to stand with me for my kingdom so we can have this building on the earth. That's what I want you to stand for. That's the kind of person I want you to be. And it's, that's not just true of Peter. That's true of every person who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior. We should have a realization, not just about Jesus, but about ourselves. Now that I've believed in Jesus, now that my sins are forgiven, he's made me a stone for his building. And I, my, my purpose as a believer in Christ, my purpose on the earth today is to stand with him for his ruling and reigning in the kingdom of the heavens so he can have a way to build up his church among his believers to bring his kingdom to the earth and eventually have his building descend from the heavens to the earth. Praise the Lord. What a commission is this? This is something much more than just having our sins forgiven, but I think so few uh, Christians have this realization. You know, just... Uh, Yesterday, I was reading a, a little book I've started by a, um, an author fairly well-known, not, not a contemporary author, but someone else did the, an introduction to the book. And in, in the introduction, he makes this comment that uh, man's sin and God's redemption are the two great ideas in the Scripture. So many Christians have this kind of concept. And, and because there's no question, man's sin and God's redemption are great matters in the Bible. There's no question about that. These are very, man's sin is such a serious matter. And, and the redemptive work of Christ that he accomplished on the cross and how God arranged that is just is truly wonderful, just a wonderful matter. It's revealed all through the Bible. 
And yet, that's not what the Bible is all about. God did not create us just so he could forgive our sins. He has a positive purpose he wants to carry out. And that purpose is to gain so many people and gather them together and build them up together to be his eternal dwelling place. You know, we uh, very often when you go by a church building, I think we said this last week, you call that the house of God. But the physical building is not the house of God. But the believers built up together, that really is the house of God. And that's such a marvelous thing. That's where God really wants to dwell, praise the Lord. That's his positive purpose. That's what he wants to carry out today. And so we need the Lord to give us this vision, not just uh, that my, I'm, a, I'm a forgiven sinner, but that I'm a stone for God's building. Just like Peter, I'm a stone for God's building, and we're standing with God for his kingdom on the earth today so he can have his building. Praise the Lord for that. So... How can we see this in the scripture? How can we see this matter? And, and I was considering that as I you know, was preparing for this program. What's, what's the best way to, to try to present this and help a believer see something of what is on God's heart? And of course, there's a lot of different ways you could do that from the scripture, a lot of different ways to present it. Uh, but I just had some feeling that uh, maybe the, for today, maybe the, the thing to do is to look at the first two chapters of Genesis and compare those with the last two chapters of Revelation and consider what's in these two different sections of the Bible. And that, I think, can help us to see something of this matter. Now, why would you compare those two sections of the Bible? What's, what's the significance of these two sections? What do they have in common that makes it worthwhile to compare them? Well, it's because in these two chapters, God is dealing with man apart from the curse. Of course, the curse came in after the fall of man in uh, Genesis chapter 3. God tells Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Uh, and it'll bring forth thorns and thistles. That's why Jesus wore the, the crown of thorns. He took the curse upon himself as a significance of that. Um, that incident when he was going to the cross, they wove a crown of thorns and put it put it on his head. He took the curse upon himself. Thank the Lord for his mercy that he did that. But all through the Bible, after Genesis chapter 2, beginning with Genesis chapter 3, all the way to the very end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, God is still dealing with man under the curse. That's why there's so much judgment, so many negative and evil things even in, that have to be dealt with in that part of the Bible. But after the end of Revelation chapter 20, where you have Satan cast into the lake of fire for eternity and the great white throne judgment. Then you have the final two chapters of the Bible where, again, the curse is not there because the curse is over. Uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 says, there will be no more curse. Praise the Lord. It's very specific to tell us that the curse is over by that time. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So it's these two sections of the Bible, it's only these four chapters in the Bible that deal with man apart from the curse. And, and there you really see what is God's thought for man, uh, for dealing with mankind uh, according to his original purpose. Forget about uh, the negative situation that came in. What is really on God's heart? That's what these sections of the Bible show us. So I just want to spend some time to compare uh, these two sections of the word because there's so many, in, so many uh, points in these two sections that are similar and related to each other 
and yet they're different because what you see in Genesis are the seeds. The seeds are sown. You have the beginning. Genesis, of course, means beginnings. Uh, and in Revelation, those seeds that have grown up all through the Bible are fully developed and fully completed. And so they show you the, uh, what God, the result that God is after. Praise the Lord for that. So let's just go through. And this is a very worthwhile study you could do yourself. If you want to just, uh, uh, you know, take your own Bible and come up with these points, I think you can see it's, it's a very, very worthwhile exercise to do. But let's just go through this together right now. So the first thing that you see in, in Genesis uh, chapter 1 is the creation of man. Uh, and, and the way God created man in a very particular way, he says... Uh, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let him have dominion. You know, mankind, is, man is just a wonderful, wonderful creation according to the way God originally created him. And again, it's, it's so good to just set aside the matter of the fall for just a, a brief time. We can only do that now, of course, for a brief time. And just consider the way God created man in his image and likeness. What a glory, what a blessing to mankind to have this kind of uh, uh, nature, this nature that can express something of who God is. We're created in his image and likeness. In a very real sense, you know, John tells, uh, Jesus in the Gospel of John tells the, uh, the Pharisees, I said, you are gods. Uh, I don't know the reference. I think it's John chapter 11. He says, you are gods. Right? But you're going to die like men, as he's quoting from the Psalms. Uh, it might be Psalm 82. Um, he doesn't quote that part of the Psalms. But he says, uh, I said you are gods. That's what it means. It means in a very real sense, each one of us is just a little picture of who God is. Because we have God's image and likeness. Now, of course, it's been corrupted through the fall. Sin came in. And so it's been very much damaged. But even so, we still have a nature in us that corresponds to who God is. We, we like to be good and righteous and kind and loving. We're happy when we can be this kind of a person. And we're not happy when we violate that kind of a nature. Whatever, you know, whatever else we feel, we know we, within we're just dissatisfied because we're violating the nature with which we were created. But that is our created nature. We're created in the image and likeness of God. Well, at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, what do you see about man? You also have man. But this time, uh, it's not just created in God's image and likeness. Now you have the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. That's in Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. He carried me away in spirit onto a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, as clear as crystal. This city is made up of all those who have believed in Christ and been redeemed and regenerated with his divine life. You know, man, in, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, it tells us he's made of the dust of the earth. But at this time, it's not. we're not dusty anymore. We're not made of uh, just this, uh, the dust. Now we're constituted with the gold, the, the pearls, the precious stones as this holy city because something of the divine life and nature has been brought into our being to make us so solid and so uh, 
precious in God's sight. It even says here, uh, the city has the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone. You know, if you look at Revelation chapter 4, verse uh, 3, it's talking about God sitting on his throne. And it says, he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. So what, by saying that uh, the light of the city is like a jasper stone, it's saying we have the same appearance that God does at this point. We're shining forth God's very image, just, uh, just like we were made in the image and likeness of God originally. Now we're shining forth God's image because we have uh, his life in nature. Praise the Lord for that. This is the fulfillment of what God created us for, to be his expression. Now we're expressing him to the uttermost with this light shining forth from within us, just like a jasper stone, just the same appearance that God has, his glory shining forth from us. You know, we um, the theologians sometimes will talk about uh, God's communicable attributes and his incommunicable attributes. In other words, he has certain attributes that he can communicate, that he can give to us, and he has other attributes that he cannot give to us. Uh, and the ones he cannot give to us are things, are the omni attributes of God, his omniscience and his omnipotence, things like that, omnipresence. He's not able to give us those attributes. But he does have certain attributes that he can communicate to us. His moral attributes, his moral virtues, the, the omni attributes relate to God's person, to the Godhead, and we, we can't partake of those. But we can partake of his virtues, his moral attributes, things like his love, his kindness, his holiness, his righteousness, his light. That's what we can and what we should be partaking of. And when we do sense the Lord uh, working some of these things into our being, we just sense it's so wonderful, it's so weighty, and it's so solid. And then we really shine forth something of who God is today. And to be clear, when I'm, I'm talking about these things, um, this comparison between Genesis and Revelation, it's not just something we're going to experience in the future. Today, as Christians, we should begin to enter into the experience of these things, and that's going to prepare us to enjoy and to possess these things in a fuller way in eternity, first in the millennial reign of Christ and then in eternity. So today, even today, people should have a sense when they meet us, there's something of God shining out from within our being, something of his virtue, his righteousness, his, his light, his holiness. They should have a sense of that. Of course, it is mysterious. It's going to be open in that age, but today, even so today, people should have some sense of that when they contact us because we're being transformed into the same image of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. That's not talking about the future. That's talking about today. We all with unveiled face beholding and reflecting as a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Praise the Lord. Uh, that's something for us to experience today. We have his image shining out from within us when we're really following Christ today. That's something every believer should aspire after. Eventually, in eternity, we'll all share fully in the image of Christ, but that's something we absolutely should experience today. Praise the Lord. Well, the way the Bible pictures this is in uh, the minerals. It's very, very significant. It's... Um, We'll come back to the holy city in a minute. But right now we need to go back to Genesis chapter 2. 
Because what do you see in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 12? It talks about um, in the, uh, in the uh, garden there, you had the gold, you had delium, and you had onyx, which is kind of a precious stone. Well, these are the materials, the same materials that the New Jerusalem is built with. Pretty much, of course, the, the city, and that's uh, Revelation chapter uh, 20, uh, 21, verses 19 and 21, uh, tell us. Uh, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every precious stone. And it goes through a whole list of these stones. The 12 gates, verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates was respectively of one pearl. Um, the city was made of, of, of gold. It's, uh, the city was pure gold like glass. It says the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Praise the Lord. So these minerals that you see at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis are there at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. Praise the Lord. Uh, the difference is in Genesis, they're just there in, uh, on the earth. In Revelation, these materials had been built up together to be a city, to be a dwelling place. Now, it's one thing to have the materials. It's another thing to have uh, those materials built up into a dwelling place. And so when you, when you see the materials there at the very beginning of the Bible, and it's a, it's a picture. Of course, in Genesis, it's just a picture. In Revelation, it's showing us the spiritual reality of God's dwelling place, but it's showing us uh, the seed that's sown in the book of uh, Genesis grows out up through the Bible and eventually fully develops until it matures in Revelation into the holy city, the dwelling place of God. Now, where else do you see this in uh, the New Testament is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And that's where Paul is talking to the believers there in Corinth. And he tells them, uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses uh, uh, 10 to 13. Uh, Paul says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation, and another builds upon it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So Paul, as he was serving the Lord, had a very, uh, very, uh, serious realization. He was uh, building up the house of God. That was his view as one who was serving the Lord. And then he goes on. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Sorry. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Very serious word. But here we see this same principle. These, these are the material for God's building. These uh, minerals are the materials for God's building. The gold, the uh, silver, the precious stones. Now, in the New Jerusalem, it's changed to pearl, gold, pearl, and precious stones because by that time, the redemptive work of Christ is fully complete. So you don't need the silver anymore. Silver in the Bible is it, uh, has to do with the redemptive work of Christ. So that's replaced by the pearl. But it's the same basic principle. These minerals are what God is using to build up his house. 
And of course, Paul is speaking in a figurative way. He's not talking about physical materials. The gold signifies God's divine nature. Uh, the silver is the redemptive work of Christ. And the precious stones indicates the transforming work of the Spirit. You know, gold basically exists in nature uh, as gold. It doesn't need to become anything else. But a precious stone is something that's transformed, maybe, maybe from, from some coal or from something else, to become a precious stone. There needs to be some kind of transforming work. So the, the precious stones signify the Spirit's transforming work. So Paul is saying in the work he was doing, he was uh, laboring to impart God's divine nature, to carry out uh, and apply the redemptive work of Christ to the believers, and to labor with the saints so that they could be transformed into precious stones for God's building. That's the picture of these minerals. That's what these minerals signify. And every servant of the Lord should be exercised about this matter that we do build with the precious stones, with the minerals, not with the earthly things like wood, hay, and stubble, because it, Paul tells us here, it's all going to pass through the fire. The minerals will be okay. They're not going to burn. But these other things, even they may not be bad things, like wood, hay, and stubble, but they're going to be burned up and be consumed, and then we will suffer a very serious loss before the Lord. It doesn't mean that we'll lose our salvation, but it does mean we will suffer loss as those who serve the Lord. So these materials speak of God's divine nature, the redemptive work of Christ, and the transforming work of the Spirit, and that's what the Lord is using to build up the church and eventually the new Jerusalem. So when it says these materials are there in the new Jerusalem. That's really what it's speaking of. Revelation is a book of signs, of course. It tells us that at the very beginning. John says uh, God made this revelation known by signs. So the new Jerusalem with these materials signifies these three things, the divine nature of God, the redemptive work of Christ, and the transforming work of the Spirit. That's what it needs to be carried out among the believers today to make us the new Jerusalem. God's dwelling place that can come down to the earth for God to dwell for eternity. Praise the Lord. You see these materials at the very beginning of the Bible. You see them there in the middle of the Bible in 1 Corinthians, and then at the end of the Bible, uh, fully developed in the Jews Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God to the earth. Praise the Lord for that. So maybe that's enough for this segment of the program. We will continue with this thought when we come back on the other side of the break. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the christianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website 
be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children for his sake and his glory. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And again, if you'd like to reach us with comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, uh, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. So we want to continue looking at uh, this correspondence between the beginning chapters of the Bible and the, the last two chapters of the Bible in Revelation to try to see, help us see really what is on God's heart. Praise the Lord. So the next thing that you see in uh, Genesis chapter 2 is the bride. And of course, that's when God makes Eve. Um, he puts Adam into a deep sleep and he uh, takes his side. Some translations say a rib. He takes his side and he makes that into a woman and then he brings her to Adam. And Adam says, this time it is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. You know, praise the Lord for that. Uh, and Paul tells us very specifically in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32, he's talking in that section about uh, the relationship between a husband and wife. Uh, and then he refers to the story of Adam and Eve. And he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so there we hear, see very specifically that the picture of Adam and Eve is really showing us the relationship between Christ and the church. And what that relationship is, very simply, is that all that the church is, everything that the church is, has to come out of Christ. There's nothing, just like there was nothing about Eve that did not come out of Adam, there's nothing in the church, in the real church, that does not come out of Christ. You know, before uh, God made Eve, he, he had Adam name all the animals. And it was like God was bringing these animals to Adam to help him realize none of these animals could be his counterpart. They all had, you know, their uh, different uh, mates. But Adam didn't have a counterpart. He didn't have a mate. And, and God brought all the animals to him and none of them could match Adam. They weren't, because they weren't of the same nature. So that's why when, when Adam realized that, then God put him to sleep and he made this woman who was of the same nature that he was, exactly the same nature. And again, that's a picture of Christ and the church. The church has to have the same nature of Christ as Christ does so that we can be the bride of Christ. You couldn't marry. Uh, he couldn't marry us if we didn't have the same nature as he does. But praise the Lord, we do. So when you come to the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter uh, 21, verses 1 and 2, I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea is no more. So again, all the negative things finally and at last are dealt with. Praise the Lord. And, eventually, and then the next verse, Revelation 21, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So here, in just like you see in Genesis, you see a, uh, a bride and a wedding. In Revelation, you see a bride and a wedding. Uh, verses 10, uh, we've already read. He carried me away in spirit onto a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Praise the Lord. That's the bride of Christ. 
the the church, of course, which is the church, and uh, we know from the rest of the New Testament, which is fully of the nature of God. And that's why we can uh, marry Christ and be married to him for eternity. Praise the Lord. And, of course, the church is also the body of Christ, and it's the same principle. We couldn't be the body of Christ if we don't have the nature of Christ. But because we have the nature of Christ, we're able to be the body of Christ. You know, 2 Peter 1.4 is very clear. We are partakers of the divine nature. We have to be because we have the divine life. If we don't have the divine life, we wouldn't have the divine nature. But once we have the divine life, we have to have the divine nature because you, whenever you have the life of something, you have the nature of something. I have the human life, so I have the human nature. Very simple. I could not have a dog nature or cat nature because I don't have that life. And they, a, a cat could not have the human nature because it doesn't have the human life. So the life and the nature always go together. And I think Christians may have a sense in a general way that they do have the divine life sometimes. But uh, it's harder, it seems, to have the realization that we also have the divine nature, that our human nature is being uplifted with the divine nature. But it has to be for us to match Christ so we can be the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Praise the Lord. And that's what you see again in this picture between uh, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. Praise the Lord. Well, you also see in uh, the book of Genesis, the next thing you see is a river. Um, uh, in Revelation 22.10, it says that uh, a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. And actually, each of these four riverheads are very significant, the names of these riverheads and where they flow. Uh, we won't get, to get into that today. But, but what we do see here in, in the beginning of the Bible is a river. And this thought of the river is developed all throughout the Bible until you come to the river of water of life in Revelation. Uh, verses, uh, verse 22, 1. And he showed me a river of water of life brightest crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. Praise the Lord. That's just a wonderful picture of the flowing out of the divine life. And again, this is a picture, this is a seed that's sown in Genesis and proceeds all the way through the book of Revelation. And we'll come back to that in a minute. I want to say more about the river of life, uh, but we'll come back to that um, a little bit later because I want to get into that in a little bit more in depth. What you also have in Genesis is the tree of life. That's uh, uh, Revelation, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I think a lot of, even maybe a lot of Christians aren't aware of the fact that you had the tree of life there in Genesis. Uh, everybody knows, so all, all the fallen people know that you had the tree of knowledge in, in Genesis, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because we all talk about that. It's a very striking fact. Everybody knows that because that's the tree that we partook of, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But to some extent, the tree of life has been hidden from mankind, even though it's right there in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. People, they just don't seem to talk about it very much. But it was there. It's, it's there in, uh, in Genesis chapter, chapter 2. And it's also there in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It says, uh, 
um, Revelation chapter 22, verse 2, right after it talks about the river of life in verse 1, in verse 2 it says, on this side and on that side of the river was the tree of life, praise the Lord, producing its 12 fruits, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Have you ever considered that? There's a tree of life at the beginning of the Bible, and there's the tree of life at the end of the Bible, all the way through from beginning to end. In the middle of the Bible, of course, in the Gospel of John, there's a man who came and he said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Praise the Lord. So he's the reality of the tree of life. Jesus is the reality of the tree of life. But what this is showing us, when you have the river there at the beginning and the river of life at the end, and you have the tree of life at the beginning and the tree of life at the end, is that God wants to impart himself as life into his human beings that he's created. Because that's how he gets uh, the divine nature into us and the divine life into us and transforms us into stones for his building. It's by partaking of this life. You see the picture there in Genesis. You see the fulfillment there in Revelation. But that's what God is really after. He wants to impart his life into you because that's how he carries out his building work. Praise the Lord. Well, you also have in Genesis 1 and 2, you also have God fellowshipping with man. Now, you don't see this in chapters 1 and 2 directly, but you, there's a reference to it in chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, after the fall, it says, uh, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So that shows us at this time, before the fall, God was simply coming to be with man. And evidently, he was coming as another man. Uh, he didn't reveal himself in Genesis as uh, fully, uh, as God. He, he couldn't do that. He could only come to them as another man. Otherwise, he would have scared him to death. But, uh, but he came to them simply as a man in Genesis chapter chapters 1 and 2. In, uh, in chapter 3, of course, he has to pronounce the judgment after the fall. But he was coming to them to fellowship with them in Genesis chapter, chapters 1 and 2, especially chapter 2. So uh, this shows us God created us to have fellowship with himself. That is really what is on his heart. You know, I love this statement. Andrew Murray has a very, very good statement about this. Um, he's, uh, he's talking about... Um, the statement, uh, uh, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion, Genesis 1, chapter 26 and 27. And so he, Andrew Murray in his booklet, The Secret of the Faith Life, he has this very, very good statement. He says, here we have the first thought of man, his origin and his destiny entirely divine. God undertook the stupendous work of making a creature who is not God to be a perfect likeness of him in his divine glory. Man was to live in entire dependence on God and to receive directly and unceasingly from him the inflow of all that was holy and blessed in the divine being. God's glory, his holiness, and his love were to dwell in him and to shine out through him. Praise the Lord. That's what God really created us for. He wants to have fellowship with us. And so that's why he created us in his image and likeness, so he could shine himself out through us and really have fellowship with us. For that, we have to be of the same nature as God. Again, I would stress that. You know, you can, um, a lot of people have pets, like dogs or cats, and, you know, 
you get attached to these things for sure and there's a, a kind of relationship with them but you could never have the kind of relationship with a dog or cat that you could with your own child it just it's just not possible because they are of a different nature but your child shares your nature and so you just have a, a way to fellowship with your child that you never could with a dog or a cat in the same way yes god has some relationship with all of his creatures but man is unique among god's creatures because we were created in a way that makes it possible for us to fellowship with him. Well, in Genesis, you don't see the reality of that yet. We only have the created life in Genesis chapters, chapter 2. We don't yet have the divine life. But today, when a person believes in Jesus and receives him as their life, opens their heart and says, Lord, I want you to be my Savior, then we have the divine life. Now God gives us his life and Christ himself is living within us to be our life and to bring us into the real experience of what it means to be a child of God, a real actual child of God who can have fellowship with himself. That's what we experience today. But when you come to the end of the Bible in Revelation, you see this marvelous city coming down out of heaven from God, this marvelous city. And that's um, as the verses I quoted before, Revelation uh, 21, uh, verse 11. This city has the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone as clear as crystal. So now we express everything of what God is. All his virtues are being manifest through us. Now God can re reveal to himself to us, not just as another man, but in his divine being. Ultimately, that's the fellowship he wants to have with us because now we have, at the end of the Bible, his divine nature. He can fellowship with us fully and freely, all that he is in his divine glory. And we have a way to appreciate who God is in his divine glory. That's what he really created us for, praise the Lord. You see the picture of that, the beginning of that, the seed of that in how he created us in uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But the full realization of that is in Revelation, where we shine forth God's divine nature and we're able to fellowship with God in the fullest way as his dwelling place. He dwells in us and we dwell with him. That's the ultimate reality of the fellowship that God is after. Praise the Lord for that. You know, Christians a lot of times are worried about um, the assurance of salvation. Can I know for sure that my sins are forgiven? I think I've said this on the program before. You can have the assurance of so much more than that when you're a believer in Christ. Praise the Lord. It's not just that our sins are forgiven. We're going to be dwelling with God for eternity. We're going to be fellowshipping with God. We're going to be shining out God's uh, divine glory to the whole universe. We're not going to heaven. The new, new Jerusalem comes down to the earth and God and man dwell together for eternity in this wonderful, uh, unbelievably precious, joyful fellowship with each other. That's what we can have the assurance of as believers in Christ. Praise the Lord. Um, it, it's such a wonderful future, such a wonderful destiny we have as believers. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, as uh, people who know me know I'm, uh, I, I come from a political background. I was, you know, from a very young age, I was very much occupied with politics before I got saved. And you can see my testimony and uh, under the media tab on, on Table Talks on the website, thechristianfaith.org, if you'd like to hear how I got saved. And I talk a little bit about the political background. Uh, 
and so I'm, I'm still, you know, very concerned about the political situation in this country. And I think we all should be very concerned. You see all the evil things that are being promoted and the corruption. You just can't even imagine it. It's so, uh, such a negative situation. Um, but it just, you know, even uh, last night and, and today, this morning, the Lord touched me. You're concerned about it, but it should not be what occupies us. Because regardless of the political situation, regardless of what happens, our destiny is so glorious. It's so bright. So uh, don't be, yes, should we be concerned about the political situation? Yes, for sure. But we shouldn't be occupied with it. We should be occupied with the fact that we are God's own children. And we're eventually going to express God and be together rejoicing with God for eternity. Praise the Lord. Well, in these last few minutes, I just want to come back to this matter of the river of life because this is such a wonderful topic in the Bible. Uh, and uh, just consider that. And again, the way God carries out his building work is to impart his life into us. Uh, so his nature comes into us and we're uplifted to match God according to his, God, his divine nature. And the way he does that is by imparting himself into us as the river of life. Praise the Lord. So you have... As I said, the, uh, in uh, Genesis, it, it talks about this river in the Garden of Eden, uh, Genesis, Genesis 2.10, that went out of Eden, praise the Lord, to water the garden. Well, you see it also uh, in Psalm 36, verses 7 to 9. I'll just read those verses. They're so wonderful. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings, they are abundantly satisfied with the fatness of your house. For with you, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Praise the Lord. So this river flows out of the house. Praise the Lord. And we, he gives us to drink from the river of his pleasures. Whenever you touch the stream of life, you just sense, oh, this is there's so much pleasure here. So much enjoyment, right? It says uh, we're satisfied with the fatness of his house as this river flows into our being. For with God is the fountain of life. Praise the Lord. God is just the fountain of life. In him we see light. So this, uh, this river just brings us God's divine life. And I think so many people on the earth today are just sensed. They're just thirsty. They're just uh, empty within. And they, they realize I'm just thirsty. I'm just missing something. And I don't even know what it is. What they're missing is this divine life. And if you're this kind of a person, I encourage you just to open your heart to the Lord and say, Jesus, I want to know your divine life. I want to receive your divine life. Give me your divine life. Satisfy this thirst within me. I just confess I'm a sinner and I need to drink of this river of life. Praise the Lord. Well, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus was talking with a sinful woman in John chapter 4. And we don't have time to talk about the whole story, but you can read it for yourself. But he tells her, this, this, he makes this statement to her in John chapter 4. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. So there you have the reality. In the Old Testament, it's a picture, but here you have the reality. Jesus is saying, if you open your heart to me, I'll come into you. And I'm going to give you a drink that will satisfy you and it will, become, it will become in you a river of life 
a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Praise the Lord. And I can tell you, I can testify, that's really true. Whenever you touch this river of life, you just have a sense, I'm so satisfied within. There's nothing that's more satisfying than getting a drink of this living water. Oh, this is so true. And I hope uh, so many of my fellow believers in Christ are getting a drink of this living water flowing out from Christ himself. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. John 7, uh, 37 to 39, very much a similar thought. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Spirit was not yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here, the Spirit, the, here Jesus makes it clear, this water he's talking about, that's the Spirit. The Spirit coming into our being, the Holy Spirit coming into our being and satisfying our thirst in the deepest way possible. Praise the Lord. Again, this is the reality uh, of what's spoken of, uh, the picture that we have there at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2. Well, ultimately, the ultimate realization of this is in Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. And I'll just read those. Again, the, you have the seed sown in Genesis. You have the fulfillment at the end in Revelation. It says, the, this is the, John, the Apostle John is saying, The angel showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this is the ultimate flowing out of the Spirit as the river of life. And it tells us here that the Spirit is in the middle of the street. That means this golden street. When we take God's way, God's divine way, it brings us to drink of this river. And eventually it brings us to the throne of God. The river comes out from the throne. So there again we see this principle. You have to have God's ruling. Then you have God's building. And you have the way of God's building, which is the life flowing out from the throne. Praise the Lord, the river of life flowing out from the throne of God. That's how God builds up his church. Is he brings us under his authority. Uh, and so we drink of the river of life, and eventually we become the stones that are built up together for God's eternal dwelling place with man. Praise the Lord for that. So that, in, in, in just a very brief way, is a sketch of how God carries out his purpose and uh, um, but I would encourage you, maybe take some time to consider these uh, chapters for yourself. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. We'll list some of the verses we've used, but just to do that study for yourself should be very profitable. We're so glad you could be with us and we could fellowship with you. And we just pray that the Lord will bless these words uh, for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.